Welcome to episode 15 of the City of Champions podcast. In this episode, we discuss the Dodgers versus the D-backs, the resurgence of Kenley Jansen, then we flip over to Lakerland where we talk about Lakers Warriors, Stephen A's ridiculous comments, and a look ahead to round one versus the Suns. Hey folks, welcome to this episode of the City of Champions podcast. My name is Edgar, your co-host, and I'm joined by my co-host, Gene. Lots to talk about today. Lots happened with the Dodgers, with the Lakers. Seems like both teams are back on track. Dodgers with a sweep after, you know, probably one of the worst stretches in a long time. And the Lakers giving us a heart attack early on yesterday. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Gene, tell me what your uh, initial thoughts were on the series against the Diamondbacks. I originally had predicted that we would, uh, I think I said we'd split. You called the, the three one, man. We we're both wrong. We got the sweep. Um, you know, it's just the pitching, man. The pitching is holding it down while the offense was, you know, and the, the pitching has been consistent all year long. And now the offense is starting to come around. We got a couple guys heating up. Um, bullpen has been great and we're able to take care of Arizona. Now we got the Giants coming up, man. What'd you see this, uh, series? I saw the bats coming back to life. I saw the pitching, especially the bullpen, really just tidying it up, taking care of business, not giving away careless runs. You know, the defense has been much improved. Not sure if that's, you know, a talking point with Seager being out, the defense, you know, picking it up. But I'm really happy with what's been happening so far, especially out of our starters. We had three really great starts by Woodyas, Bueller, and Kershaw. Tell me what you thought about their, uh, their outings. Man, uh, so starting off with Bueller, and in in he had the first game, seven innings, one hit, zero runs. Uh, control was a bit of an issue for walks, which is not very characteristic of him. But, you know, seven innings, one hit, that's great. Udius, man, he just, the kid is a stud, man. Uh, six and two-thirds. I know uh, the fans gave Roberts an earful when he pulled him, um, pulled him out during that inning. But, you know, also helping himself out with the bat, you know, getting a single. But he was great. You know, only gives up one run in game two. Then Kershaw gives up two runs. So um, just our pitching has been consistent, man, all series long. We went with the bullpen game today, the bullpen holding it down. And uh, we'll have Bauer to go. I believe he has, he has a game one tomorrow against the Giants, man. What do you think about the pitching? I thought it was great, man. I thought, uh, you know, if you look at like the worst performance, and I'm only saying worst because the other ones were so great, it's Kershaw, right? And again, it's not that he, you know, pitched poorly by any means. He did really great. He had a bad inning, and it seems like that's been the story of uh, of the year for him. He has excellent games, a lot of strikeouts, very low walks, not a lot of hits, but he's always he's got that one inning where you know hitters get to him, and he you know gives up a couple runs, you know, three, four here, there. But you know, overall, I'm just really happy with what we're seeing. Bueller right back on it. He's got his uh, sub three ERA after, you know, a couple shaky starts. Nothing else I could really ask from these guys. And what makes that all that much better is that the bullpen is coming in and holding it down. No more blown leads, no more careless runs being given up. Price, you know, coming back from injury and really locking it down. Like you mentioned today with a bullpen game, he started the game off. For a second there, I thought he was, you know, starting the game and going long. And then I realized, oh, well, this is just a bullpen game. But he's been nice. You know, he's been nice. Not something you really expect uh, from guys coming back from injury. If, you know, there's one thing I do want to point out, someone who's really been inconsistent this entire season. And, you know, it might be because he's coming back from injury. Shoulder injury is pretty, uh, you know, it's pretty significant. But Joe Kelly, man, Joe Kelly, he just... He kills me sometimes, you know, because last year, for example, he had a really good shortened season, really good ERA, just took care of business. But he's almost going back to his form from two years ago when he joined the Dodgers and he was just blowing games left and right, giving up runs, had really poor control. I think today he, uh, he, I'm not sure if it was a changeup or a fastball, but it was right over the plate. And, you know, it just, they took him for a ride. And with the way, 
Nelson's been pitching with the way Jansen's been pitching as of late. You know, shout out to him. We got on him early, but he's really picked it up with the way Gonzalez has been pitching the entire year. I don't think Kelly should be coming near any game in which we have a lead unless that lead is big. Other than that, he should be eating up innings in games when we're behind until he can show that he can go a few games without allowing careless runs and hits. I mean, what are your thoughts on him? I agree. And and so I, I think that's kind of always been his role. He's kind of always been mid- middle innings, not really used for late innings, leverage situations. I mean, although, you know, he his first game was really bad and he had three solid outings and then today he, he had a rough one. So I'm going to, you know, wait and see a little bit more sample size. But I do agree with you that, you know, for the amount of money we spent on him, he hasn't really lived up to that contract. And, and I don't think we need to see him, honestly, in high leverage situations because if you look right now, man, our starting pitching, you know, you you factor in uh, Bauer. So, um, you know, but but for this series, you get seven innings from Bueller, six and two thirds from Moodyus, six innings from Kershaw. So a lot of times your bullpen is going in for th- about three innings worth of work because Bauer normally gives you six to seven innings. So your bullpen's giving you about three, two to three innings worth of work a game. And right now we have four amazing pitchers out of the bullpen. You know, Price just came back also. Um, and he's been, he was good before he got hurt. But the last 15 games, Jimmy, Jimmy Nelson, 1.5 ERA. Um, Gonzalez, 1.5 ERA. Trinan, 1.29. Jansen, 1.13. So the last 15 games, these four pitchers have been handling the high leverage situations. They've been doing a great job. You know, guys like, uh, like Vesia and Clevenger. And Joe Kelly, when, when he's still trying to find himself, you know, you put those guys in low leverage situations, you know, times when we have leads, you know, same things for like Dennis Santana, Edwin Utica, like all, all these guys who have not been consistent. Those are the guys you use for, you know, mop up work when you have a big lead or, you know, if a, if a pitcher doesn't go deep in a game, and you need some work in like the fifth inning or something like that. Those are the pitchers you use. Um, but when it comes to close games, man, we we have four guys who are doing an amazing job right now. And so hopefully they can maintain for the year. You know, hopefully Knebel comes back, you throw him in. Gratterall's supposed to come back pretty soon, you throw him in. And we should be good, man. We really just had to weather the storm of injuries. And that's what we did. Um, we have a couple guys coming back soon. Uh, McKinstry and Bellinger have joined uh, Oklahoma City AAA. And so they'll be ready to go soon. Yeah, you know, and uh, I, I really want to go back and I want to talk about Kenley Jansen. You know, we, we wrote him pretty hard early on in the year. And, you know, generally speaking, we write him pretty hard because we hold him to such a high standard. It's because he's, you know, been that good in his career and he's always treated us to a level of excellence where if he deviates even just a little bit, we're really critical. But if we take a look at this series and we take a look, look at his numbers, he pitched 3.1 innings, and this is over four, you know, four game span. 3.1 innings, five strikeouts, one walk, and three saves, including two saves on back to back nights. Now, his biggest weakness or his biggest struggle has been coming off on a back to back night and closing it out. But tonight he did that, and he did that with dominance. What are your thoughts on Jansen? What do you think he's done these past few weeks to really just turn it around? He's, you know, turning it back to 2014, 2015 Jansen, just looking like a, a mad dog out there, pitching angry, like he said. If you look at his um, his season stats, they're really solid, bro. He's thrown 19 innings, um, ERA is 1.37, whip 1.0. Um, he's done a great job. You mentioned like walks being kind of his one concern, and I would agree. Because for 19 innings worth of work, he has 15 walks. So 23 strikeouts to 15 walks, that's not a great ratio, right? But he's gotten better as the season has progressed. Uh, His last 15 game, his ERA is 1.1. His last seven games, his ERA is zero. And he's pitched in seven games. He has five saves in his last seven games. So um, definitely finding his form. What I've seen, man, is uh, an uptick in the velocity. Seems like he's using his two-seamer a little bit more, and he's hitting like 95, 96, even 97, I think, at one point with that two-seamer. So getting a little more velocity with that. Uh, the cutter, utilizing, mixing that in, as always, and then the slider. Today he threw a couple of nice sliders. And so what I see is he's mixing in his pitches more. Because before what we knew with Jansen, it was cutter, 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 cutter. And if it wasn't moving, it was kind of just a meatball for hitters. 
Um, and a lot of times you saw the pitch drop in velocity and decrease um, the movement when he would work back to backs. But now he's not relying just on that pitch. You know, mixing in the two seamer with the slider allows him to hide the cutter a little bit better um, and get those weak ground balls or weak pop fly. So just a, a, a better job of mixing his pitches, I think. My respects to him. Um, outside of that, you know, we've had some standout performances by, you know, Lux, who's just turning it up, really putting it out there that he wants to be the long-term, you know, maybe shortstop for the Dodgers, you know? Seager isn't a for sure thing, especially not for $300 million the way he's been been playing, right? Lux is really filling in for him. He's doing it in a way that's dominant. And I'm really happy for the kid, you know? He feels comfortable. He looks comfortable. And we've been waiting for it for, you know, the past couple of years. And I'm glad it's finally yes, here. Sir. Yeah, um... I'm excited for Gavin Lux. A lot of people on Twitter are are keeping receipts of people who doubted Gavin Lux. Uh, you can add me to that mix, man. Um, I just, you know, at times I felt like he wasn't, uh, he, he kind of looked lost up in the box. You know, looking back, it seems like it was more of an injury thing. He was working through that injury. He went on the IL. And then since he's come back, man, like you said, he's just been, been uh, heating up and uh, hitting the cover off the ball. Uh, last 15 games number, batting average 345, on-base percentage 410, slugging 509, OPS over 900. The last seven games, batting average has been 375, 464 on-base percentage, 583 slugging with a 1047 OPS. So he is... He's definitely hot at the plate right now, um, and and that's a good thing, man. Um, it's a good thing that he's holding it down because really, when our lineup comes back to full strength, he really is like our our six, seven, or eighth hitter, right? You move the kid down there, man. He's he's gonna produce. He's gonna produce for us. So um, I don't need him to be hitting you know this well all season. I've always thought if he can hit like two seventy five, two eighty, that'd be great. That's a solid to me, like a solid full rookie season. And so um, yeah, man. Shout out to Lux for holding it down. Definitely, man. And I also want to shout out the other young stud who recently joined the team, Albert Pujols. Hey, man, that kid right there, Albert <laughs> Pujols. He's got a bright future, right? I think uh, he could really be something. Hey, the, the the future is bright for that young kid, you know, coming up, you know, first taste of the big leagues, his cup, you know, getting his cup of coffee in. But uh, all, all jokes aside, man, uh, Albert Pujols is like the deal of the team, man. He's like the uncle, you know, just sharing that wisdom and... Uh, He's just a, you know, solid veteran, man. That's when we picked him up. That's why I said he's a solid veteran. And you already see him in the dugout, you know, pulling guys aside, having conversations with guys, you know, conversations with Taylor or conversations with Lux. And that's what you really want. You want a, a veteran hitter up there, you know, who his nickname is the machine because he was, you know, so consistent and so good in the box, in the batter's box. So, you want that guy, you want him in Gavin Lux's ear giving him tips. You want him in, in Chris Sutter's ear giving him tips. And uh, it doesn't, you know, I didn't expect much from him, honestly, offensively, but it doesn't hurt, man. He, is, he hit his, uh, his first home run today, two-run home run. Uh, had a couple, you know, RBIs this series. I think he had four RBIs this series, if I'm correct. So um, that's solid, man. And, and, uh, and he's having a good time, man. He's out there smiling. He's out there having fun, joining in on the celebrations. Yeah, no, you you said it. Uh, he he looks like he's having fun. He looks happy. I know he had a bitter ending with the Angels, and you know I think he's sort of getting the last laugh. And not that I wish anything bad on a guy like Mike Trout, but he just went down with a big injury right after they dealt Pujols. So now the Angels sort of went from having a really strong squad with Otani really you know coming into his own to missing a big bat, a big bat like Albert who can still produce, but they obviously they wanted him out of there and uh, they got rid of him. And now the tables have sort of turned with that situation. Pujols looks a lot happier out here. He's sitting for us. He's providing that guidance that's invaluable to any team. And, you know, good for him. Good for him. He's, you know, he was able to stay local, not have to move his family, you know, somewhere far. So I'm, I'm really happy with, um, with how that situation sort of developed. And, uh, it's really cool to see Dodger fans already rocking the uh, Pujols jersey. Hot. I know yeah. it's, it's only been a few days, but, uh, you know, it's it's crazy, right? It's the machine. Like, this is a guy who's been tearing the cover off the ball for the past who knows how many decades. And now he's doing it for the Dodgers. So it's it's something that's, just, you know, a bit surreal. So I'm, I'm really happy for him. I'm really hopeful that he'll continue to, you know, kill the ball in a pivotal role with the team. And here's the thing is, like, 
right now is, uh, like I said, I mentioned earlier, we got Bellinger and McKinstry coming back pretty soon. They're both on rehab assignments. So soon, Pujols is going to just be relegated to that um, that bench role, which I think is perfectly fine, man, because he keeps it light in the dugout. He keeps it fun. Uh, you know, again, he's that veteran guy having conversations with the young guys. And that's what you want on your bench, man. You want veteran hitters. You want guys who bring positive club energy. And that's what he that's what he does to the clubhouse, man. And so, you know, uh, we're not depending on him. And he's provided, you know, he's produced this series. Great. But uh, I'm not expecting him to produce long term. You know, if he can come and pinch hit and, you know, occasional starts, perfect. But I, what I want him for is that mentorship for the young guys, you know, helping these young hitters. You know, it's it's always great when you could talk hitting with a Hall of Famer, you know, when you could talk hitting with the Hall of Famer like Albert Pujols, when you could talk hitting with the Hall of Famer like Mookie Betts, you know, it's good to have those guys in the clubhouse. Giants have won five in a row. Padres have won six in a row. We've won four in a row. It seems like we all started winning at the exact same time. So we're still two games out of first place. But if we play well this next series against the Giants, which I completely expect we should, then we could, you know, climb back to that top spot. But what are your uh, thoughts? What are you most looking forward to in that series? Um, I think it'll be a tough series, man. Uh, like you mentioned, the Giants have been uh, they've been playing well, bro. And so I think it'll be a hard-fought series. I think we can pull it out. I think we can get uh, two or three. So we got Bauer going uh, tomorrow. And so I believe we'll have uh, Bauer, Bueller, Udius for the series. Solid. I mean, Anytime we're throwing our, any of our top four, we only have four starting pitchers right now, but anytime any four of them go, uh, I, I'm confident in them, man. But uh, one thing is that the Giants do have some good pitching, man. It's it's interesting. Uh, as far as like team ERA, it's Padres, Dodgers, and then Giants are third. So, you know, the NL West, man, is, is looking good this year. And so um, just curious to see how we handle their starting pitching. Our offense has been better of late. You got guys like Lux heating up, Will Smith heating up. Uh, Chris Taylor has been playing great for us all year. You know, Muncie is, is starting to find his groove as well. But you do have a guy like, you know, Justin Turner, an important bat in the lineup, really slumping. Uh, in his last 15 games, his average is down to 212 in his last 15 games. Last 30 games, 248. Last seven games, 148. So Turner is really spiraling down right now. So uh, I'm, I'm going to be really curious to see is our recent our recent stretch of winning is that a, a product of playing some weaker competition in Seattle, uh, the Marlins, and Arizona, or is it that we're truly coming around? And uh, the big thing, the big, the big thing I always look for, man, which has been the very clear difference maker for us all season, is hitting with runners in scoring position. You know, we're gonna draw walks. That's what we do. So we're gonna get on base. It's just, are we gonna get those those big hits and those big moments? So we'll see, man. It's gonna be a good series. What are your thoughts? What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to the you know good series, right? It's it's sort of uh, the biggest rivalry in baseball, in my opinion. I know you've got the you know Red Sox, Yankees, but Giants, Dodgers. It's always good to have those two teams competing when they're at the top. Fans are being allowed back into the stadium, so there's fans in there. You know, there's going to be some back and forth between the fans. It's sort of what we've been missing this past year with without the crowd. And so adding that element is really going to, you know, intensify things. And the fact that, again, we're both in first place, or we're not we're both in first place, but we're both near the top, adds that little extra spice to the rivalry. So looking forward to that. And the rivalry is definitely going to pick up, bro, because we so we have them three games, uh, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in San Francisco. Then we'll be in Houston for two. Uh, and then we come back to play San Francisco for at home. So our um, out of our next, I believe, nine games, if I'm correct, yeah, out of our next nine games, seven are against San Francisco. So that's a positive in the sense that if we play them well, we can take over first place. By the time we play the Giants at home for that four-game series, McKinstry should be back in the lineup is what they're saying. But Bellinger, they did say that he is going to be on a longer assignment. They're not really putting a timetable to Bellinger's return just because they're also being cognizant of the fact that he had offseason sur- shoulder surgery. So they want to make sure that not just the leg, but the shoulder is responding well um, at the same time. So it looks like he might be, you know, essentially, I think they're going to kind of put him through like a, a short spring training kind of thing. That's what it's sounding like. Give him give him reps, let him find his bat again, make sure he's 100% right before they bring him back. So they're not really rushing Bellinger. Uh, they feel McKinstry can go on a shorter rehab assignment because he wasn't off that long. Both good signs. Um, you know, I don't mind taking it slow with uh, Bellinger. Better to have him fully healthy than, uh, you know, risk the possibility of him getting injured again. 
Things looking up for the Dodgers. Uh, I feel like in general, my life has been a lot less stressful these past like two weeks since like that slump because man, for a while it got really, really like sad. It just watching the Dodgers going into extra inning after extra inning and blowing game after game was really, really tough as a Dodgers fan. So things are finally turning around. So we're starting to get healthy is what's happening, man. We're starting to get healthy and guys are starting to find their groove. So looking forward to the to the rest of the season and playing some some good Dodger baseball. No doubt. And uh, now for the Lakers, let's switch over to them. All right, City of Champion podcast listeners, it's time to discuss your Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, and it's playoff time, man. Uh, we're, we're, we're in this now. Uh, we had the play-in game last night. Uh, definitely gave us Laker fans a heart attack in the in the first half, Lakers just not performing the way we thought they would. I honestly thought that we would, you know, win the game pretty easily, but that was not the case. But regardless, an instant classic. I think I saw somewhere where it said that it was the highest rated basketball game since uh, 2019. That's including the finals and the playoffs, you know, um, of, you know, last year and everything like that, man. So this playing game uh, between the Warriors and the Lakers def- definitely gave, gave Adam Silver all that he wanted. Uh, got the ratings up for him. But uh, let's get into this game. And Edgar, let's start off with the first half. Uh, we lost the first half 55-42. to 42. Uh, A horrible first half for the Lakers. A horrendous first half for the Lakers. Tell me some of the things you saw in the first half that were frustrating you. Some things you saw as far as like why we were playing so poorly. Drummond, right? He just clogged up the lanes and he didn't let Anthony Davis get inside and do work on people. That was really frustrating. It was really frustrating, and that explains why we were only able to put up 42 points. On top of that, you had a guy like LeBron who was initially only supposed to play under 30 minutes, according to Vogel. So you could tell that they managed his minutes in the first half. And having him out or not in the game consistently, on top of AD not shooting well because of Drummond and Trez being inside, probably the worst First half, I've seen the Lakers as a full squad play since LeBron and AD have been playing together. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, man. Just, uh, you know, and, and part of it, uh, the it being such a horrible first half for the Lakers, is LeBron, AD, and Schroeder just shot the ball horribly. Um, they shot, uh, between, the, between the, um, the three of them, shot below 25% for sure. And that kind of dictated, you know, our offense, man, because if those are your top three scores and they're all struggling, uh, your offense overall is going to struggle. Um, luckily, I feel like Caruso and KCP had a huge first half for the Lakers, hitting clutch baskets, getting some offense. I thought even Trez, man, I thought Trez didn't play bad while he was in there. He just brought energy, right? Getting dunks, battling inside, getting fouls. Uh, so I thought Trez did a really good job. But also, I think part of what the issue was with the first half, so is um, – Besides Drummond, because I do agree with you, man. Um, and, and so here's the thing on Drummond real quick. Is um, I'm not anti-Drummond. It's just we cannot deny the fact that when he's on the court, the offense is not as dynamic. And I've said this before. Um, and it's not that I need AD at the 5. But I, I prefer Gasol at the 5 because it opens up the offense because he can play the high post. He can pass from the high post, he can shoot from the high post, and he can stretch it out to the three, which stretches out the defense, which means that you don't have someone in easy help side at all the time. Because uh, AD really likes to do his work in the high post uh, because it's an easy opportunity for him to drive or shoot. But when you have someone like Drummond in the paint, uh, it's hard for AD to drive because if he goes to drive, his man can easily fill the lane to help, right? And so that's why I think that you saw um, Draymond playing so tight and close on AD and pressing AD because he was daring AD to drive because if AD beat him, Kevon Looney was right there to fill the lane. And so it's very easy to guard two guys at the same time when they're not spaced out, right? And I think you saw a difference in the second half when AD moved to the five and Wesley Matthews came in or Kuzma came in, how how much easier it was for people to get to the basket. Um, so that's just my point on Drummond. I mean, I don't think he played horrible, um, but I, I don't think he played well either. Um, and I thought, I thought, 
I thought personally that Vogel stuck with him too long. That was my personal opinion. Um, I was going back and forth with people on Twitter. They're like, nah, you know, Vogel pulled the trigger right at the right time. Second half. He he can't do that the whole game. And I see their point. It's just, I think for me, when I say that Vogel is sticking with Drummond too long, I don't say that to say that he needs to go with AD at the five. I think that's what people think what I mean. My thing is, mix it up, man. If you're going to play Drummond 20 minutes, why not give him more like 10 and give Gasol 10? Right? Give uh, Gasol an opportunity. If you're going to go with more of a traditional five, a big man, and you're not going to put AD at the five, mix it up. Give Gasol. I hate when Gasol doesn't play, man. Because here's the thing. If Drummond can guard Kevon Looney, Gasol can guard Kevon Looney because Gasol is the better defender. And, you know... Um, I don't know if they were concerned about Gasol defending Curry in space, but Drummond can't defend Curry in space either. So I don't know that that always frustrates me, frustrates me with Vogel when he doesn't give Gasol any run because our offensive numbers are much better with Gasol at the center than Drummond at the center. But yeah, we'll you know, see. and it wasn't so much again that any one guy played um, played poorly. Uh, outside of, you know, the poor shooting by our three top scorers who, you know, they just need to make shots. It's, it's more that we were playing the wrong lineups. We were playing the wrong, the right guys in the wrong positions at the wrong times. Right. And so it took a little bit of, uh, adjusting to, to get it right. Um, which we did in the second half, but it wasn't necessarily a knock on like Drummond or Trez. Trez had that monster dunk that really, uh, I think it got the the team going at one point. Um, it, he he injected some energy into into the team, um, which is always good. He's a high energy guy that will always go and make that extra effort. Drummond, he's a good big body, right? But for this particular game, playing against this particular team against a guy like Draymond Green, who's not only the ex you know defender of the year, he's a smart guy. He knows how to play basketball, like you said. He does. He knows how to take advantage and apply the right kind of pressure at the right time, knowing that he's going to have backups, uh, you know, in case Anthony Davis does get past him. So it wasn't, again, that any one guy played poorly. It was more of we had the wrong lineups and we just needed time to get it right and adjust. And luckily we did. Yeah. And uh, let's talk about Draymond for a second, man. Um, because I think another thing with the first half, and LeBron admitted this, AD admitted this, they didn't come to play. The Lakers didn't come to play right away, man. Um, that was like the initial comments on Twitter from all the Laker faithful was just that the Lakers didn't bring the energy, right? And specifically, LeBron said, we didn't bring playoff energy because the Warriors have been playing in some must-win games for a while now, right? Because they were battling for that eight seed with Memphis. It came all the way down to the last game. So for the Warriors, they've been playing must-win games for about two weeks now. We as a, the Laker team, we were more just trying to get healthy and kind of we weren't worried about seeding too much. And the main thing was get healthy, get healthy. And it's hard to kind of just like, you know, snap of a finger, turn the switch on. So the Warriors really woke us up. AD and Braun both said like, you know, uh, Juan Toscano Anderson and Jordan Poole talking shit, uh, you know, hushing up the crowd, all this and all that that they woke them up, you know, that kind of snapped them, you know, snapped them awake and, and, and got them going. But Draymond Green, man, is an animal. And he really, he really set the tone early for the Warriors, man. He did not give AD any ground. He didn't back up from AD. He defended him one-on-one -on -one amazingly. And he just, you know, Draymond just brings energy, like, Though I knew the Warriors weren't going to play easy because Draymond won't allow them to. And so Draymond, I thought, really dictated the tone and the energy in the first half, and we didn't match it. And I, so I thought that was uh, another reason why we were getting slapped around there in the, in the first half. But then the second half is a different story, man. Uh, the, we won the second half 61-45. to 45. We outscored the Warriors by 16 in the second half. Um so tell me some of the things you saw, bro, and then I'll share some of my thoughts. What is what are some of the things you saw in the second half where you're like that you these are reasons why the game turned and why we we pulled it out? The second half, you know, and uh I guess what had happened is that uh Jared Dudley and a couple other guys, I think it was Keith, who said the right things to energize them and it showed early on in the second half. They came out with energy. 
But once again, halfway through the 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 third quarter, when we had cut the lead, I think, to one, the Warriors were able to stretch it back up to like 12 because having Draymond in there or Drummond in there just wasn't working. It just wasn't the right mix of players. Once they took him out of the lineup, they put in uh, Wesley Matthews, who you know came in right away, hit a three. Once that happened, that's where the game really turned around. That's when AD started to impose his will inside. That's when guys were finally able to get open shots. LeBron looked more comfortable driving. That really was the turning point. And I'm almost glad that we came out strong, but also struggled because that added the extra bit of motivation. Jared Dudley, uh, just how, uh, how valuable he is to this team and, um, just a, a a great locker room guy. So, you know, word is hit. It was him and Keith that really, you know, called out AD and Braun and told him like, you know, wake the hell up. Let's get going. And they definitely did. Cause you can see bro from the jump, the third quarter, we, ca- we came right away. And I'm pretty sure within the third quarter, we cut that 12 point lead to, down to like four, even one at one point. Um, I thought the defense was way more active. I thought we were setting traps, forcing turnovers. And we did a great job in the second half of forcing turnovers. We forced uh, the Warriors into 15 turnovers in the second half. So that was huge, man. Uh, but it really came down to Bron and AD waking up. And and LeBron even talked about it. He said, I wasn't driving to the rim ex- expecting contact. You know, uh, I was... Because, you know, in the regular season, you drive to the rim, there's contact, you expect a foul call, right? But in the playoffs, the whistles don't blow as much. And so I think he was driving to the rim looking for fouls instead of driving to the rim expecting contact and I need to finish through this contact because I'm not going to get the whistle. And so you can see that kind of switch in his head because he was going to the basket way harder. Uh, AD started hitting some shots, getting to the rim, you know, and, and finding his groove because uh, AD was great in the fourth quarter, man. Uh, 13 points in the fourth quarter for AD, five of six. Completely different player in the second half. Um, but I, I thought a couple moves by Vogel were solid I thought removing Drummond and bringing in uh Wes Matthews was huge not just offensively bro but he also played really good defense on Wiggins uh and that's why we signed Wesley Matthews man we signed him to guard um the longer lankier wings the taller longer lankier wings because Wiggins was finishing over Schroeder easily, and he was finishing over Caruso easily. Caruso's a great defender, but he can get oversized. Uh, he can be overmatched by size sometimes. So I thought West just bodying up Wiggins. And, and shout out to Wesley Matthews, bro. 14 minutes plus 17. Great, valuable minutes from him. And I thought the other good move by by um, by Vogel was uh, replacing Schroeder late in the game with Caruso. Because you saw it right away. I thought Schroeder started the third quarter really well. But then he started to fade. Then we went to Caruso, who I thought brought great energy and great defense on Curry specifically. And then we went back to Schroeder. And when we went back to Schroeder, I don't know if you noticed it, bro. But on Twitter, I was going back and forth with some Laker fans. We all noticed right away defensively there was a huge drop off. I think Curry went on a little run once uh, Schroeder checked back into the game. And then Vogel called a timeout and he pulled he pulled Schroeder, I think, the last three or four minutes and went back to um, back, went back to Caruso. And uh, Caruso with some amazing defense on Curry. Uh, specifically, I like the possession where um, he, he hits uh, Caruso, shoots a three from the corner. He clanks it off the side of the backboard. <laughs> but then he hustles back on defense and forces a, a, a turnover on Curry right away. And, and, and that's huge, man. He just does a great job of, uh, specifically on Curry, man, it requires discipline. And, and you cannot let up. Right, you cannot relax with Curry at any second. So I think Caruso does a great job of staying focused, keeping Curry in front of him, poking at the ball to try to force, force turnovers. When Curry gives it up, chasing him. Don't don't like let up, chase him. Keep your hands up to contest a shot, but don't jump. Um, and just you know, because Curry's going to be herky jerky. What he's trying to get you do is trying to get you out of position to draw a foul, or he's trying to get you out of position to get open for the three. And Curry will a lot of times fake like he's going to go to the basket then pulled it back to the three-point line to create space to shoot and I thought just Caruso all game did a great job of of, of sticking with him and uh it wasn't just it, it wasn't a great game by Schroeder man he was a minus 20 it, and the plus minus most times is some people argue it's not the best stat to look at doesn't tell the true story so on and so forth but when it comes to a starter like Schroeder 
who's playing most of his minutes with the best lineups, right? He's playing most of his minutes with LeBron and AD, so he should be in the positive. And it was, uh, what did we end up winning by, bro? Three, right? It was a three-point game. So we won by three. So overall, as a team, we're a plus three, but you're a minus 20. You're a minus 20. And and like Perk said, like Perk, Perk, I don't know if you saw Kendrick Perkins' tweet, but he said, he said, Schroeder should have took that extension when we offered it. Because if he does not produce in the playoffs, he's not going to get like four years, $100 million like he wants. He better sign that four-year $80 million that we gave him initially. Because here's the thing, man, is when it, when it comes down to uh, NBA contracts, my thoughts have always been you don't pay guys who cannot close games, right? Like why would you pay Schroeder $100 million when he can't even close a game for you, right? The closing lineup was... Bron and AD, Caruso, who's on a team-friendly contract, Wes Matthews, who's on the veteran minimum, and KCP, who we just resigned to a solid contract. So you want to be a $25 million guy, you have to be able to stay on the court and close games. And that's another reason why I don't want to pay Drummond. That's another reason why I don't want to pay Harrell. I don't like paying guys big money if I can't rely on you to close games. And so uh, it's only one playoff game. It's still early. Schroeder has all of the playoffs to prove himself, but this was not a good start for him. Minus 20 uh, in this game. And um, yeah, and, and just great. Uh, I just want to shout out also that last possession. We put up a clip and I broke it down a little bit. Um, that last possession by the Warriors, just great defense by the Lakers, man, specifically AD. And I called it out in that tweet. He just blew up that entire play, man. Great job of switching. Great job of calling things out. Great job of handing off his guy to um, to Wes Matthews. Great job of allowing his guy to fade to the deep corner, knowing that, you know, we'd be able to close that out. Doubling Curry, denying him the ball, just blowing up that entire play, man. Great defense by the team and uh, really great defense by AD there, man. But uh, another talking point I know we want to get to is that Draymond flagrant, or or not even a flagrant, the, the non-call, the non-flagrant, you know, the, the common hard foul, foul. According to Van, Van Gundy. Van, yeah, Van Gundy is saying that that's not a flagrant, that's a good basketball play. He played the ball. He went, the people who said he went straight up, what, what were your thoughts on that, bro? You start off, what were your thoughts? People are full of shit, man, honestly. He, he went straight up, are you fucking kidding me? There are multiple camera angles in slow motion where he clearly does not play any of the ball. He isn't even looking at the ball. He's sticking his fingers right on LeBron's face. Like, he didn't try to hide it. Now, let's remember, this is a guy who was suspended in Game 5 of the Finals a few years ago because of his beef with LeBron, his dirty play against LeBron. Are you really going to tell me that it was a clean basketball play, that he played the ball, that he didn't mean to do what he did, poke him in the eye. That was probably the worst non-call I've seen in a long time. I think if that happens to anyone else, that is a flagrant foul without question. It was a dirty play. It was not accidental. This is Draymond Green we're talking about. It was not a basketball play. It should have been a flagrant. Van Gundy needs to retire or at least hide his, you know, hate for the Lakers a little bit better. That was 100% a flagrant foul. Bro, fuck that, fuck that biased commentary, man. I, oh my God. I posted on Twitter, man. Van Gundy, Van Gundy don't shut the fuck up, man. Between him and Mark Jackson, their biased commentary against the Lakers is ridiculous. It's, um, it's annoying, man. It's, it's unbearable. And I know, I don't know why I ended up watching the game on ESPN, man, but, um, or why I even had the commentary on, but here's the thing: is I actually I like Draymond Green as a player. Do I think he was purposely trying to hurt LeBron or anything like that? No, I don't. I don't. I don't think that that was his intention. Do I think he was trying to commit a hard foul? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I think Draymond will tell you the same. I mean, he might not say I was trying to foul him. He might say I was trying to play the ball. But he wasn't trying to play the ball because LeBron had already elevated. Draymond jumped late. There's no way he was getting to the ball. And he clearly is leaning forward, hands coming down forward on his face. So to me, you can't say it's a play on the ball when he's legit like a foot and a half away from getting to the ball. His hands are coming down forward. So you can't argue that he went straight up and there's clear contact to the head. And then... CJ McCollum's dumbass is commenting on Twitter, you know, you know, uh, 
on LeBron's quote-unquote acting job. Like, CJ, shut the hell up before you get bounced from the playoffs again. You know, like, why are you... I, I hate that when, when players clearly see that it's a foul call. He faked you, a puffy eye, bro. He faked his puffy eye. And you see after the game, the eye is swollen. Like, you clearly see on the broadcast after the game, I believe it was his left eye, is much smaller than his right eye. You know, he'll be fine. He's going to be okay. You know, the whole three rims. I don't know if he saw three rims, but shit, fuck it. Play it up. You know, um, I saw three rims and I still made the shot. What? Hey, makes for a great story. But the case is, that was a flagrant foul. And even Steve, was it Steve Javi or whoever the, 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 the referee is that they bring onto the broadcast? He's like, oh, I don't like it. I don't think it's... A- Shut the hell up. That's a that to me that's clearly a flagrant foul. And I don't know if you saw, bro, I got in an argument back and forth with the um with the Warriors fan who was on our Twitter who was saying um that that wasn't a, a flagrant by Draymond, uh, but Jor- but you know, LeBron had a flagrant foul on Jordan Poole when he tried to dunk on him. I don't understand how that was a I told him I said that's not a flagrant, bro. LeBron played the ball. Draymond wasn't near playing the ball. That's the difference. That's that's the difference in the flagrant is are you is it a basketball play? Are you going for the ball clearly? Is there any serious contact? LeBron didn't really make any contact with Jordan Poole. He played the ball. So whatever, man. It it, it is what it is. But that could have been like a big play that turned the game, but luckily it didn't. Um and we were able to pull it out. Um what are some I, I know you had some other talking points, man, some other, you know, um national sports people making comments about this game what were some other things you heard at floating around man oh man Stephen a smith he was on one today and you know Stephen a is one of those guys who's you know he gets hyped everyone knows who he is and the kind of person he is and usually i see the logic in his arguments right he's very he's very good at what he does he's really good at you know his job he knows how to pick arguments apart he does it very very well but today and last night he was on one his hate for LeBron, and I don't know if this is because he feels threatened that the GOAT title is, you know, Jordan's GOAT title is in danger, but the first thing he says, his first reaction after the game is, it was a lucky shot. Like, are you kidding me? Your first reaction after the crazy-ass game that we just watched, after a spectacular shot, your first reaction is really going to be, oh, he got lucky. LeBron practices that. He didn't just come across the ball and then throw it up and hope it went in. No, he prepares for these moments. Well, and here's the thing, man. So to so, so the counter Stephen A. Smith's like whole like that shot is lucky. And and I heard, I saw someone put put on Twitter like that was a great shot. Why is your immediate reaction to dump on LeBron? Like, give the man his roses. That was a great shot. He hit a great shot in a clutch moment. Instead of saying like great shot by LeBron coming up clutch like you want to talk shit that's what bothers me um but to counter that is how many 30 foot threes does lebron hit he shoots from deep all the time and someone put together a compilation of deep threes by lebron in the playoffs you know throughout his career and there's numerous and then someone tweeted out and and i retweeted it and and i I have put down that lebron haters need to educate themselves because uh someone uh put out and it says a a list of, of players with at least 10 shots in the playoffs to take the lead with a minute or less remaining in the fourth quarter of overtime, uh, in the fourth quarter or, or, or overtime since 2006. So since 2006, guys who have took a good sample size of clutch shots in the playoffs, right? Only in the playoffs. So LeBron has taken the most shots with 33. Durant's taken the second most with 20. So clearly LeBron has a big a clear bigger sample size. So Durant was 7 for 20. LeBron is 18 for 33 in clutch opportunities in the playoffs since 2006. He's shooting five. Uh, he's shooting 54%, bro. 54%. And Durant, with the next highest percentage, you know, with a, with a good sample size, is 35%. Yeah, man. I don't think people understand how hard it is to put yourself in a situation to get lucky. And this is something that used to really bother me about how people talk shit about Kobe, right? Oh, he's always taking the last shot and he's always missing. Do you know how hard it is to get the ball and put the shot up before the clock expires? It's something that a lot of top players can't even do. Steph Curry couldn't even do it last night. 
he couldn't put himself in a position to even put up a shot that might have tied the game. That's how hard it is. So even the accomplishment of putting yourself in that position to throw the ball up from 30, 35 feet away, that in itself is a very difficult task and only the greats can do it and they make it look easy. Hit or miss, it's not an easy accomplishment whether you're Jordan, whether you're Kobe or LeBron. It is hard. It's not, bro. And, and the person who tweeted this added to their thread and also shared that if you stretch out the list since since 96, 97, that LeBron still, he has, he's made 18 such field goals, right? He's made 18, what you would consider clutch shots in the playoffs. He's made 18. The next highest since 96, 97, bro, he stretched out the sample size. The next highest is Manu Ginobili with eight. So LeBron doubles up the next person in clutch made shots in the playoffs. Part of that is is LeBron's size, right? His physicality and his ability to get to the rim. But part of it is just not being scared of the moment and and making shots when they count, bro. I don't care how you make a shot. When you need a bucket, you get a bucket. And that's what LeBron does. He gets buckets when it matters, bro. So yeah, man. So I, I don't know what I don't know what Stephen A is talking about, bro. Give the guy credit. He isn't lucky. He doesn't get to the finals, you know, what, 10 times in a row because he's lucky. He doesn't put up the final shot and make 18 field goals in clutch situations in the playoffs because he's lucky. Definitely. I mean, honestly, I don't I don't pay much attention to to those guys' comments um, because here's I mean, the reality is these guys on like these big uh, national sports shows, they have to keep up with all the sports. Right. So they're not really, really watching and paying attention to the game that closely. So I, I don't put too much stock into what they say. I listen to, you know, I feel like more educated podcasts like City of Champions who actually watch the games. Um, there you go. But uh, let's let's move on, man. Let's start let's start wrapping this up. Uh, we got the Suns. We're officially the seventh seed, and we got the Phoenix Suns. We start the series this Sunday, Game One. Uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter, man, because Game One we're gonna be, be having some giveaways. We got some merch that we're trying to uh, drop and give away. So make sure you guys are following us for that. Uh, but we got the Suns, so just to drop some just info on the Suns. Uh, we know about Devin Booker. We know about CP3, DeAndre Ayton, Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson. You know, Jay Crowder, Dario Sarge, solid roster, solid roster all the way around. Uh, they were second in the league in field goal percentage, seventh in the league in three-point percentage, second in free throws, third in assists, fourth in turnovers. And that makes sense because you have the great point god in CP3. Uh, they were seventh in offensive rating, sixth in defensive rating. So you have an overall solid ball club. And we know this, right? We know this because they're the second seed in the West. They've been there for a long time, CP3, you know, has really turned that team around. I don't think he gets enough love as far as MVP. Uh, Monty Williams getting some votes for Coach of the Year. Um, but uh, two things stood out to me in regards to the Suns. First one, that they're 23rd in rebounding. And we know we have the size advantage. So that should play in favor to us. And also pace. They play at a very slow pace. They play their 24th in pace. Lakers are 21st. So that that kind of favors us, I think, in a way, um, because it allows us to utilize our size down low. So um, curious to see, you know, how does, you know, because we recently played the Suns and we handled them and that was without Braun. So, and without Schroeder, we, we beat them pretty easily without Braun and Schroeder. So I'm curious to see what adjustments they make from that game. I'm curious to see how Monty Williams tries to counter uh, our size and our physicality um, because they, they don't they can't match up with our size um, they tend to play um, they tend to try to play Jay Crowder at the four they try to get away with him at the four he can't guard AD and he can't guard Braun we saw that last year in the finals um, DeAndre Ayton can't guard AD Dario Sarge can't guard AD Frank Kaminsky for sure can't guard AD so I don't know. I'm not. I'm not stressing about this series. I mean, they got two great players in in, in Booker, and um, in uh, in Booker and CP3, so they'll compete. But I'm going with the. I'm going with Lakers in six. That's my prediction. What do you got, bro? Nothing brings me more joy than beating a Chris Paul team. I don't know why. I just love beating <laughs> the guy. I think one of the good things about having a guy like Drummond is that we can put a guy like. Uh, uh, Aiden in, in foul trouble early. And once we remove that from their arsenal, then they're, 
you know, they're really, they're really stuck with their, um, their per- perimeter players. And that's when we can, you know, double a guy like Booker or double a guy like CP3. I think, uh, uh, Caruso is more than capable of doing that. So I think it'll be Lakers in five, man. I think yeah. it'll be Lakers in five. I can see that. I can see that. I'll give, you know, I could definitely see Lakers in five. And, and just so, uh, City, City of Champs, uh, our listeners know this. And, and Edgar knows this about me. I tend to be a little bit more pessimi- pessimistic and safe with my predictions. Um, so I'm gonna go with with Lakers in six. I'm gonna give the Suns a little bit more, um, a little more grace, and I think they can maybe pull out two wins. But um, yeah, the the thing is, I, I just don't see, I don't see how they counter our, our our size. I'm really trying to think what lineup they run out there. They're for sure going to play CP3 book bridges at the one, two, three. Um, they, they might go with um, Crowder at the four. They might go with Saric at the four to try to match more size. Either or when we go with AD at the five and LeBron at the four, Saric will get eaten alive by LeBron. Jay Crowder will get eaten up by LeBron. Um, their biggest challenge, the Suns' biggest challenge is going to be trying to guard Anthony Davis. Um, and I don't, I don't know if they want to give DeAndre Ayton that assignment because I think he'll get eaten up also. Uh, so I'm expecting them to send help. And with that, our shooters need to be ready to shoot. Whoever's out there, KCP, Caruso, Wes Matthews, Kuzma, Schroeder, whoever's sharing the floor need to be ready to shoot and knock down some open shots because there's going to be a lot. I think that's, I, I think that's how many, many teams are going to defend the Lakers. They're going to send help when AD catches the ball in the post, force him to pass out of the double team, which he can struggle with sometimes. But I think we're good, man. I feel good about this series. I feel like we, um, Booker, I feel like we have plenty of bodies to defend Booker and Caruso, KCP, Wes Matthews, Kuzma will get some time on him. LeBron can defend him. So we'll, I think we're good, man. Nothing about this series really worries me, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, nothing about this series, nothing about the Suns worry me, man. I, I was honestly more worried about the the Warriors and the Suns. So I think we'll be good, man. You say you say Lakers in six. I'll go with Lakers in five. We'll wrap this up, and then uh, we'll move next to the to the next series. But we'll we'll be recording and and giving you guys our thoughts on on each game along the way. Um, and just make sure you you guys are following us on Twitter so you guys can uh, hop in on some of the giveaways. We're gonna be uh, we're gonna be. Uh, having man but uh thank you guys for rocking with us this episode that's going to do it for us uh we're looking forward to this next game we appreciate the love and appreciate the support again make sure you're following us on twitter at underscore city of champs make sure that you're uh you're subscribed on spotify on spotify and apple pod um if you're on apple pod leave us a five-star review show us some love and again be on the lookout for the merch giveaways we're going to really get that going soon got some new merch uh that came in and uh thanks for rocking with us y'all peace